Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brew Church Podcast. My name is Fabian. I am your host, and I'm glad that you are listening. If you would, please hit the plus button on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify as a way to help more people find this audio content. This audio is recordings from our Sunday gatherings. And if you would like to support what happens here on this podcast or in the Brew Church community in general, there's a giving button in the description of this. Uh, We hope that this is helpful for you and that you gain some good tools to lead to a life of abundance. Enjoy. Welcome to Brew Church, everybody. Uh, my name's Fabian, and I'm really grateful to get to be here with you all this this morning and get to have some amazing dialogue. So a little bit about Brew Church. Uh, we've created a space intentionally where people from various backgrounds, whether people that would consider themselves religious, non-religious, or uh, there's a term that's that's been going around that a lot of people are experiencing of this idea of deconstructing where they're asking questions, uh, big questions about their faith and the things that they were taught and maybe wondering, is there other ways to think about this? And so the hope is to create a space where people can come together and sort of do that questioning and growing together. And this is a place where we tend to base many of the things that we talk about around the teachings of Jesus or stories in the Christian Bible, but we understand the value of learning from each other, learning from our neighbors, and even learning from people of various faith backgrounds. Hence, we're having this event today with Shaq, who's going to come up here in a moment. Uh, My hope is that this is enlightening, that we would learn, we would hear from Shaq's stories, Shaq's experiences, and um, sort of his passion for his faith, that it would help us grow in sort of our journey and our faith. And uh, when I think about the fact, at least for those of us who would say, uh, you know, we're Christians in the room, Jesus's second commandment was to love your neighbor. And when I think about what he meant by that, this is what I think about. It's being together, learning from each other, hearing each other's stories. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about Shaq, and then he's going to come up in a moment. So Shaq was born and grew up in Turkey. Uh, He received his bachelor's in foreign language teaching from the Black Sea Technical University in Turkey, his master's in educational studies from the University of Cincinnati, and his second master's (laughs) in communication and leadership from Park University, and then in 2015, you like school, don't you? (laughs) Uh, He received his PhD in higher education from KU with high honors. He holds a peace education certificate. He's currently involved in the work of the Dialogue Institute, which aims to promote mutual understanding, respect, and cooperation among people of diverse faiths and cultures, or as Shaq likes to say, to promote the movement of global warming of hearts. So it's beautiful. In addition, uh, before joining MCC where he's at today, he's worked as a college advisor at Wichita State University. His passion is working with students from diverse backgrounds as well as what we're doing today, establishing dialogue with anyone of different cultures and ethnicities. He's organized a variety of events to promote peace and dialogue, and his goal, as uh, I said earlier, is to contribute to this global warming of hearts to depolarize the world. Eight years ago today, he was awarded the most outstanding international student 
which is only given to one graduate student a year by the University of Kansas in 2014. So he's done a lot of good work. He also has a couple books. Uh, I have one up here with me. This is the Global Warming of Hearts book that he has. And then he also has another book that he wrote, I'm Not Colorblind, which released in November of 2020. So if you want to follow up with either of those books, but that's it. Let's uh, give it up for Shaq. Hello, hello. I feel like I'm in a TV show. <laughs> I feel like I'm a celebrity. Rock <laughs> concert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what we're doing. All right. How's it going? It's going great. Yeah. Thanks for having us here. It's yeah. great experience. Yeah, yeah. Th thank you for coming. Thank you for bringing some friends along and for bringing the treats. So it's fun. So we're going to start. We, we, we talked. Uh, we have some questions that we're going to dialogue. Uh, but really quick, I want to mention, uh, if you want to ask a question, we have a portion at the end of this dialogue where we're going to go through your questions uh, at brewchurchkc.com or if you uh, want to just scan that QR code that's back there on that sign when you go grab some baklava or something, uh, there is a box that says ask Shaq a question and that's anonymous. So if you're like, I just want to ask a question but I don't want to share who I am, uh, one thing that Shaq mentioned is, um, you know, He's not shy of answering any questions, so anything yeah, that you want to ask, anything you're curious about, uh, pop it in there, and then near the end, Richard's going to come up and sort of facilitate the Q&A part of the conversation. But yeah, so let's just dive into our first question. How's that sound? Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, just start with sharing some of your story. How did you get to where you are today? What has been your experience in the Muslim faith? And then sort of talk a little bit about the Dialogue Institute and how you got involved with that. Sure, absolutely. Um, as you see, I go by baby shack, uh, Muslim shack, turkey shack, white shack, whatever. <laughs> so let me start with that background. I uh, heard about MBA when I was eighth grader. And initially when I watched the highlights, I didn't really enjoy until I saw Shaquille O'Neal's highlights. <laughs> So I'm like, oh my God. So I started waking up at 3 a.m. to watch Shaq's game because I used to live in Turkey back then because of the time difference. I thought I need to make that sacrifice. <laughs> so that's how this name came about. Uh, I was born in Istanbul, Turkey, which is a highly cosmopolitan city and with diverse people from diverse backgrounds, I would say. And I think uh, over the years, when I think about my childhood, I was born into a very loving family with two parents, uh, two sisters, uh, judgment-free zone, I would say, and loving and embracing everyone. Um, I, I was uh, around six years old with a group of friends. We were going to mosques, Islamic centers also known as. Uh, we, I don't know if you've ever been to a mosque, but, but we usually take off our shoes. And although I, was, I loved going to the mosque every day, we don't know who, but someone stole my shoes. Uh, what my kind of shoes were they? <laughs> what, what, what was the brand of shoes? I don't remember, but <laughs> you know, I was just six years old. Actually, my father's job is shoe business, so he had a bunch of shoes, but still, it, I think negatively affected me, then I didn't go to a mosque <coughs> between the ages of 6 and 17. Can you believe that? 11 years. And Turkey, where I was born, is a Muslim country. 
Um, but it wasn't like I hated religion or I was against any religion, but I think I just alienated because that because of that issue. Until uh, so that that always stays stayed with me, and until around the age of seventeen, I read a book about a girl who was into um, who was also Turkish and who went to who came to actually U.S. and one day his friends her friends her friends invited her to a church. And she questioned herself, like, who am I? You know, I come from Turkey. Am I Muslim? Am I atheist? Am I Christian? So she had this identity crisis that she didn't really know. She didn't have the answer to who am I question. And then she uh, just stayed away from people and just stayed in her home and questioned and tried to find this answer to the question, who am I? And after her research, she accepted Islam. She and started practicing Islam. But this time, when she went back to Turkey, her, including her family and friends, close friends, excluded her because she didn't practice Islam when she was in Turkey. Uh, and her family, her friends, none of them were part of Islamic faith. And so, this question, I started asking myself this question, who am I? Am I really a Muslim? If I am a Muslim, why I don't practice? Uh, those questions really uh, stuck to my heart that, then I went, to, I, uh, I went to college in a different city, in Black Sea, technically, in north northern part of Turkey, where I met uh, with Muslims who really practice their faith. When I say practice their faith, um, they were pr practicing more than preaching because that approach of preaching always was also something, I guess, that alienated me. That, you know, on TVs or people around me, some people, not everyone, uh, I think I will come to that question later, but my own uncle was one of the people who alienated me, um, put me away from Islam, I would say, as his question was always, what is the purpose of life for you? And for my sister, who didn't wear headscarf back then, uh, why don't you wear your headscarf? What is the purpose of life for you? So although you are not against the religion, you just feel uncomfortable to hear all these questions. But the college life, I think, changed my life, where I met with these people who practice Islam. And I asked myself, do I want to be like these people in the future when I grow up? or what so i think that really those people really changed my life because they were caring about people they were loving they were not judging about anyone they were embracing they were full of love and ready to share their love with others they were highly active in the community uh, gathering getting those scholarships or raising funds to help the girls education to help you know any student actually, any minority student or students coming from southeastern part of Turkey where there are mainly Kurdish minorities who come from very uh, low SES backgrounds. So, and but I always also had this fear in my mind. Will they force me to pray like them? Will they force me to do something that makes me feel uncomfortable? 
because I went to school in Istanbul, high school in Istanbul, and we also the TV channels back then was under the influence of ultra seculars. When I say ultra seculars, I'm not just actually referring to an ideology, but more another form of oppressors, I would say. Mm, not just like leftist, rightist uh, mindset, but more oppressing another group that are not like-minded to them. So on our like mind, women who wore black, uh, fully, like, uh, fully covered, uh, even they were called spiders. Yeah, that was their nickname. So say like you are in a hospital, you see these women in black and not too many like Saudi Arabia, but still there were. And people were whispering, oh, spiders are passing by, watch out, you are afraid of spiders. And so, plus you are still, you know, exploring your own identity. You, I mean, thanks God, we never judge a woman who wear headscarf or a woman who didn't wear headscarf or this and that, um, but kind of grow up with that uh, influence. Yeah, it, I, I think it's something that um, people that are a part of this community um, relate to as well, sort of the the divide or the gap that can sometimes exist between people who preach and talk about certain things and people who live it out. And I think a lot of people experience sort of that similar identity crisis that you're talking about where you're wondering, you know, is, <laughs> is, is this what I'm a part of and why? And having those, uh, you know, really asking that question. Um, that's, thank you for sharing, yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, so, um, how about being a part of the Dialogue Institute? And I love this idea of the global warming of hearts to depolarize the world. Uh, do, do you mind talking a little bit about that and sort of oh yeah. you know how you, how you got to this point today? So actually, I think that journey started in Turkey. Those group of people that really changed my life are also part of Dialogue Institute, which uh, later I came to realize it's an international movement. It's a global movement. And, but sometimes when we use specific words like dialogue incident or certain church group or faith group, some people may still feel excluded or they may not just feel comfortable to associate with the group. But to in my mind, uh, this global warming of hearts is more an abstract term which includes everyone. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to have Muslim, Christian, you know, or any like Jewish. So it is open to atheist, agnostic, any group. So basically, if you are contributing to the global warming of hearts by the good things you do, then you are part of this group. Mm -hmm. So that is the, that's why I, I think came up with this name. And uh, here locally, we have the official name of the organization is Kansas City Raindrop Foundation plus Dialogue Institute, Kansas City. I think as you mentioned at the beginning, the whole idea is promoting peace, dialogue, and mutual understanding. Um, a little bit of that story, you know, feeling excluded in my own community back there, Turkey, having those identity crises, I think helped me to feel more empathy towards people who feel excluded in their own community. And also, uh, one of the attributes of God in Islam is the judge. W so what, as a human beings, we are not authorized or are not allowed to judge other human beings. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people 
ask you a question. Actually, my first year in the US, we had a conflict resolution class and we were determining these ground rules. And after kind of coming up with these ground rules, one student's the professor asked, does everyone feel comfortable to speak about any conflict we have? And one girl said, no, I don't feel comfortable. Everyone was shocked. And she was from an LGBT community. And she said one statement that one of the classmates made, which was Jesus is the only way and the other ways are wrong. I guess the way he expressed what the tone of his voice wasn't very embracing. I, I was so new and I wasn't aware of what's going on. But um, so I thought about this girl and what Islam says or what's, you know, and she I went to her and talked and she said since her childhood, she always has been the victim of this hate speech or discrimination. Then I thought about this, you know, in Islam it's the judge. Judge is the attribute of God. As a human being, I cannot judge anyone. It is God's decision to make that decision. Uh, when, But I cannot like, speak for sure who will go to hell, who will go to paradise. But I think all of these interfaith experiences or intercultural experiences that Dialogue Institute is trying to promote is helping me to building my own identity, but also uh, understanding, really understanding uh, people around me. Because you, one of the, I think, uh, kind of commonly used phrases is that, oh, we have a lot of similarities. Uh, until recently, I asked myself, what do I really mean by that? Or what do other interfaith-oriented people, minded people, mean by that is it just superficial or but then i thought it's actually a very deep statement that we have a lot of similarities for example all of our emotions are same say like when someone says a kind word all of us get happy but when someone insults us you know use unkind words then all of us get sad that doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you are atheist christian jewish agnostic so those emotions are same for all of us. So there are a lot of similarities, and I think Dialogue Institute is opening ways to to see that. Mm, I love that. Yeah, because it's it's like you know, you know one thing you talked about in your journey is you know you find your identity right, um, and and you sort of build this confidence around it. No, this is what I stand for. This is what I believe. Um, but then having that comfortability to allow somebody else that also went on a similar journey, right? Like somebody that asked these big questions in their life and, and being able to honor sort of what their story is by saying, you know, I respect how you came to that place as well. And then I love that idea of we're all similar is actually a deep question, is a deep statement, yeah. So we have a couple stories that, uh, that we had talked about. <laughs> um, and not to, you know, make it overly negative, but I think it's important as someone who's Muslim in the United States to really talk about what your experience has been here. And so, uh, you know, there was a story of wha what happened at Walmart 
um, if you want to share that. And then uh, the story of the woman who disrupted the interfaith dialogue. (laughs) So hopefully that doesn't happen here, but uh, it's happened to him in the past. So, so, uh, but yeah, if you want to share both of those stories. Yeah. So first of all, I think I have to uh, say that close to all of my experience have been in the U.S. very uh, positive. It's been an amazing journey to live here. If I were to choose to live in a country, I think it would be U.S. again mm-hmm. uh, because of the diversity, inclusion, and really like respect, I would say. Uh, a couple of interesting <laughs> experiences, I would say. One was of Walmart uh, in Oklahoma. We were driving to Dallas through Oklahoma that we had to make a stop, get gas, plus we... Um, we're gonna make our t- daily prayer, one of the daily prayer. And we just chose a very distant corner outside Walmart where nobody was. So we were making our prayers and a police came. So in the middle of my prayer, he asked me, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I just kept praying because if I had responded to him, I had to do redo my prayers. Um, yeah, he asked me three times. I just, I guess, ignored because to me, or not just to me, to Muslims, it's a direct connection with God. So I was just, in a way, talking to God, worshiping to God, and I couldn't interrupt it. So I just kept praying. But, you know, those prayers are just like short, actually, like three, four-minute prayer. Then you give a break, you do the second set of the prayer. So uh, so after I was done, he was a little bit away. He drove away. Then I waved at him, hey, hey, hey. So he came back. I said, I'm sorry, I was praying. So he said, oh, that's what I thought. But I think that's my guess. Someone saw me praying. You know, but when, by the way, when I say praying, we refer to uh, ritual prayer where we stand up, uh, kneel down, and prostrate. So it's in motions, not just a supplication verbal prayer. So it includes emotions, moments. So I think maybe someone thought I was high. Someone thought I didn't know what I was doing. But uh, that's probably the the case. Um, So I mean, he he said, yeah, that's what I thought. And and that was the first time I experienced something like that. The second one was a little bit harsher. But honestly, as an individual, I am okay with any kind of questions um, because I know that people have a lot of questions in their mind that I see on TV, that I read on social media. So it doesn't really bother me, even if people use wrong words mm-hmm. when asking that question. But so that environment was uh, at a church uh, that we had probably more than 100 people, and we had a Muslim speaker and a, a priest. So everything started so nice, I would say, very respectful. Then in the middle of the event, there were a couple of women and a man who started asking very disrespectful questions. But the questions were maybe still tolerable. But then she started saying, oh, you will all go to hell. Which, you know, traumatized not just like Muslims, but anyone. You know, anyone in this this country. Um, So... The, that was the event, like, first time we thought about, oh, shall we hire, like, security at our events, which we don't want. You know, when you don't want to see police officers because you want to build bridges, 
you don't want to always have the police officer or security guards to protect. But um, that woman's, Muslim woman's uh, parents-in-law were actually Catholics. So she was married or she is married to a Catholic or former Catholic guy who, is, who was Muslim now, who is Muslim now. But the, uh, the, gra the in-laws were uh, Catholic. So the in-laws, the Catholic in-laws escorted her to her car. She was extremely upset and offended, definitely. And but later we found out that these actually people were not the members of the church. Like they just came to disrupt the event. But again, um, when I had that experience, I see it more uh, as a like learning experience and how I can change the hearts of these people. Because apparently these are adults uh, and they have this hate, hateful hearts. And with a hateful heart, it is impossible to live a peaceful life. So, and it also reminded me of a saying by one of the caliphs uh, in Islam who said, oh God, uh, create my body as large as possible so that it would be only me who would fit into hell. I don't want anyone else to go to hell except me. So, I mean, in a way, it was like sacrifice in his eyes. So he was, in a way, sacrificing himself for other people. So to me, the true, like, really people who follow a faith or any ideology uh, with a peace-oriented mind, I think no one wants to go others, like, to, in a way, burn in a hellfire. Even, you know, in this world, when we see that kind of fire, we are all scared. How can we enjoy when we see a friend, as someone in our community, to have that experience? Yeah, well, it's 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 so you know talking about the similarities, how translatable what you said about hate in your heart. You know, if you have hate in your heart, you won't be able to live a peaceful life. Then that that's translatable across any faith, any religion, non-religion, just this, you know, having compassion um, in your heart is so much, so much better. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it, I, I think, I think what you shared in that story is that you, you got, and maybe this is the language I would use, but you got curious about the person's backstory and you learned a little bit more about them and that was because, you know, maybe in that sense, you were acting out of a sense of compassion. Okay, this person is responding this way for a reason. There's something behind it. And I think that's something that, um, yeah, it's something that we can all learn from. So I thank you for that. So um, I, I'm just personally curious. This actually, I, I will just show my hand. This is my th uh, the part I was most excited about because I just don't know a lot about Islam. Um, so you talked about prayer. Uh, how many times a day um, do you do that prayer? So the ritual prayers are five times. Okay. Yeah. Five times a day. Five and then, and then um, you know, maybe just talk a little bit about, so, you know, what's the reason, what's the why behind um, the motions and the words that you say? And mm -hmm. then also, um, you know, may maybe talk a little bit about um, the Quran and uh, a God used the word Allah. Is that, am I saying that right? Okay. Um, yeah, talk a just a little bit about Islam and your faith and all the different aspects of it, maybe for people who are unfamiliar with um, yeah. Islam. 
So prayers, uh, which we refer to the ritual prayers, are one of the pillars of Islam that um, five time. When, when we say those prayers, it's, uh, we refer to the mainly ritual prayers. Like if it is supplication, like verbal prayer, we can do that any time of the day. Like when you walk outside, when you take your dog for a walk, or just when you hike and whatnot. So anytime <laughs> when you drive your car, because uh, a lot of people think, you know, five time daily prayer is too, ma too many. And one of my Christian friends said, oh, I want to do more. I make more prayers. Why is it limited to five? <laughs> so that really was one of the most interesting questions. Um, but yeah, then it's, I guess we, I came to realize it's the language barrier. That five time daily prayer, mainly the ritual prayer, you can just make as many as prayer you want. There is no limit what that about that. But I think that prayer, I will just kind of uh, get a, make a quote from a, a grandpa. So these teenagers were having a conversation with their grandma and said, oh, have you, we always see you praying. You know, have you ever missed your prayer? He said, no. How can you not miss a prayer? You know, that's so like, you require so high self-discipline. He said, you know, I am, I'm just having the luxury to meet with my darling five times a day. And, and they said, how about, you know, your darling is not your, our, like your, your wife, your grandma? He said, no. Grandma is the gift given by my darling. So I think he, that's how we see it. It is always like a wireless connection to God. You know, we, I guess most people have their iPhones or smartphones with them. We always want to charge our iPhones. And when the battery is low, we feel very upset or I feel very bad. <laughs> when I, when I, we get on the plane, we, we have to turn it to airplane mode and we feel like we are disconnected from this life. <laughs> I think it ha that's how it feels to us, to make those prayers, daily prayers. It is, um, yeah, before maybe, maybe I was, m I didn't have this thought, but many people who are having hard time to uh, make these five time daily prayers, I think it's more about the mindset. It may sound, oh, it's too difficult. How am I gonna do five times? You know, I work, I do this. But even, <coughs> you know, in the work environment, we always have 10 minute, 15 minute breaks. So, or when we, and we don't always actually have to go to a mosque. We can do our prayers anywhere. <laughs> like, uh, was it yesterday or Friday, we were at Roselle Court Nelson Atkins Museum. So we made our evening prayer uh, outside Nelson Atkins. So it's not like confined to a building. It is anywhere possible. So I think that's the mindset we have to make these daily prayers. Rather than like burden, it's more, oh, another chance to meet my darling, another chance to, and you know, we, there are certain attributes of God, Allah, actually 99 attributes of God, and among them, the most merciful, the most compassionate, the most forgiving, the peace, the kind. I didn't know one of the attributes of God is the kind in Islam. Did you know that? The kind. So, for example, as a human being, when we are kind to people around us, we are in a way reflecting that attribute of God in our life. It's not like we are God, but it is the reflecting of that attribute of God. When we are compassionate towards the animals, 
we are attributing uh, that uh, attribute of God. We are living that attribute of God in our life. For example, uh, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, made a visit to a child who lost his birth. So the his birth, you know, died, and he was very upset. So he made a visitation. And so he wanted to show the compassion about this animal because that really meant a lot, so much for the child. And how we may practice that teaching in our life, especially in the US, people uh, feel so attached to their animals, their dogs, their cats. So when people lose their cats, what we try to do, maybe uh, kind of ordering a personalized mug with the image of their dog on the mug or creating a TikTok video <laughs> with the with the images of the the dog and saying, "Hey, I am in paradise. Thanks for taking good care of me." <laughs> and so, always, I think keeping in that mind, keeping in our mind that how I can practice that in my life, and also the merciful, the compassion, the forgiving. Sometimes, you know, we have uh, conflict in our lives with people around us. And you know these motivational speakers also always talk about, you know, you don't have to forgive, but you have to face the reality. Because when we are full of hatred or anger, it doesn't have to be hate. When we are full with this anger towards people around us, say like you don't want to see that person anymore. So like you come to the here, but you don't like one of the people here. You just avoid. You actually use a lot of energy. In, and it's mostly negative energy. Uh, but if you, but I mean, if you take time to sit down and explain, at least face that conflict, um, it will actually help you before the other person. So I think when we read about the attribute of God, uh, characteristics of Prophet Muhammad, upon him, we always think about how we can apply to our life. Because if we, if I hurt your feelings, that is seen as uh, transgressing human rights, actually like human rights violations in a sense. So um, I have to ask for forgiveness from you before God to and come at that peace, peace uh, peaceful, yeah, place. Yeah, I, I think maybe the language that, you know, um, we would use um, in this space to what you're speaking about is is five times a day where you center and you remind yourself of what's most important. Um, and I think having that, that the structure from the outside can seem, you know, rigid and it can seem, uh, you know, too demanding. But if you sort of think about it a different way, it's no, it's an opportunity for me to pray to God to sort of reset or, you know, like what you're talking about, to recharge, it's that some things happen in life, right? Like we, we experience things, we engage with people, we have conversations, um, you know, things we didn't expect to happen. And if you have those sort of set five times, those are opportunities to say, okay, um, here's what's most important. Here's what's most important. And then reminding yourself of that so you can go back to those things um, after that, you know, prayer and, and sort of Exactly. Handle them better, you know. I I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, like a couple of things to add. I had a, a surgery last year, and the recovery process was very hard on me. And using all these like medication and such, 
uh, I started feeling empathy for people who don't really belong to a faith. Because, you know, I was, I had the surgery in the best hospital in the world, Mayo Clinic. <laughs> and I had the best doctors probably in the world. But still, I, you know, that wording in English, I had a humbling and rewarding experience. We don't really have the literal translation of those words in Turkish language. But that moment made me feel I really had that humbling experience. Because that showed me, say, you know, the Mayo Hospital Clinic, the best hospital, the best doctors in the world, but still I was having that pain. So that moment, I guess, was another chance for me to feel connected to God more. Because, I mean, that was the only thing that I could relate to or that I can trust at that point. So that was kind of a yeah unique uh, time for me. Maybe a couple of uh, other things to add about yeah, Islamic yeah, belief. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, I mean, I mainly focus on the prayer concept, but actually, this you know five time daily prayer, w we can live each of our moment like a prayer, like we are worshiping to God momentarily. That say like you are doing something good in the community. Say may you may volunteer at harvesters. You may volunteer at dance and drum guild or different organizations, Nelson Atkins and Vernon, 10,000 villages, Catholic charities, uh, Habitat for Humanity, wherever. So in Islam, those are also seen as like prayers. If you are doing something good in the community, uh, that is also a form of prayer. So it doesn't have to be you have to go to a mosque, you have to do this, you have to pray. There are different forms of prayer. Like studying for your classes is another form of your prayer. So it's anything good you may you may think, but also a couple of things maybe you know fasting you may heard about Ramadan. Ramadan is the month of unity, compassion. I always think like the superficial definition is when we don't eat and when we don't drink. But when I just say so, it even sounds so boring to me. <laughs> so are you looking forward to a month when you don't eat and drink? Why are you looking forward? But the, I think again it is. I come from a Muslim country and that people don't ask those questions. That is the tradition, that's the habit. But when I think, when I try to again feel this empathy, um, it doesn't really sound interesting. You know, it more sounds boring. But again, we see that again, it's a privilege to be able to fast. It is a choice we make to fast. That a lot of, pe a lot of people in the world uh, are having this issue that they don't know where their next meal is coming. I was at, a, I remember May 27th, that was about four or five years ago, Golden State Warriors, Cleveland Cavaliers game, LeBron James versus Stephen Curry. So <laughs> Memorial Day, let me use my announcer voice, yeah. <laughs> so um, Memorial Day, we didn't have any community Ramadan gathering. And uh, so, in our community, always we break our fast with each other. I and mean, we either have this community gathering, community dinners uh, with different faith communities. If we don't have any, our uh, like Muslim friends also invite one another. So that day, I realized it's Golden State Cleveland basketball game. So it was on my calendar, but I also got a lot of invitation. Hey, would you like to come to? I like this English uh, kind of word of choice, which we don't say in Turkish prior commitment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so like Turkish culture is more nosy. 
what, what do you have today? What do you have? <laughs> but in English, you may just say, oh, I have a prior commitment. And people usually don't say, what is exactly? We are more nosy in our culture. <laughs> <laughs> so my prior commitment was Stephen Curry's basketball game. So that day, I went to a burger place and got cheeseburgers, french fries, and everything. The girl there said, oh, you are not coming to here recently. I said, it's Ramadan, and we have a lot of community dinners. She said, oh, I'm so sorry for you. I'm like, why are you sorry? I'm happy. <laughs> you know, but she kept saying, oh, it's so hot outside. But you know, in the US, I think we are so spoiled because we always have AC everywhere. So we are not really feeling that hot weather or cold weather. Because you just turn the heater on, then it's warm in your home. And but that made me think, you know, I mean, she didn't have like bad intentions. She just, um, but that made me think, you know, let's care about people who have to fast in their life. Even in the U.S., we don't need to kind of give an example from Africa. Just think about locally. You know, hundreds of people are waiting for food to get from harvesters or, you know, partner churches. They get in the line and get that. Yeah, let's care about them. Let's help them be uh, independent. Let's think about the veterans who are begging money in the streets, in the bright streets of America. We, I, I can understand certain people who might be against refugees and immigrants to a certain extent. But okay, let's think about the American refugees living in the bright streets of the United States. You know, this homelessness issue, I think that our U.S. has the, mo the country that has the most homeless people in the world. So we have the richest people, but also the most homeless population here. So I think those like prayers, you know, fasting, almsgiving, uh, are part of like pillars of Islam, you know, uh, going to pilgrimage, doing the pilgrimage, but again, I think about more how we can reflect that teachings in our life. Yeah. Yeah, one, one word that uh, I've heard lately, um, I don't know what I think about it yet, but um, I'm kind of trying it on, is people will say spiritual technology. Uh, it's kind of like an invention that somebody came up with mm -hmm. um, as a way to sort of grow and expand and become, you know, a better a better human, mm -hmm. um, you know, if we want to use that language. And so it's almost like what you're saying is, no, not seeing fasting as this obligation that's burdensome or boring, but seeing it as a way, you know, one, yes, it's my way to honor, you know, God or, you know, whatever language we would use in that way. And also at the same time, it helps me have compassion for people who don't get to eat on a daily basis, who have to fast because they can't afford food. Um, I love I love that way of thinking about it. That's beautiful. Um, so because of time, uh, we're going to move to the Q&A, and then I'll ask you, you know, at the end if you want to share anything else. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. All right. I'm going to invite Richard to come up. So did you get any questions populated in there? Okay. Oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll go for a little bit, and then, uh, and then um, I'll cut you off at some point. So we'll see. <laughs> All right. You ready? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's a basketball question. <laughs> yeah, the answer is Shaquille O'Neal. No, so you, you've already talked a little bit about this, but the question comes in like this. Can you please briefly explain the Muslim prayer routine 
frequent times, process, et cetera. I work in a school with large Muslim population and would like to know mm -hmm. how to best support them by knowing more about prayer during the day. Perfect. Thank you so much for this question. Uh, that shows your you know, compassion and uh, understanding and trying to develop this empathy, I would say. Um, actually, the easiest way, you know, if you Google like prayer times, like Muslim prayer times, Kansas City, you will have an idea about the prayer times. It's based on the sun motions. So the morning one we can make, but November 6th, you know, the time will change, but the no uh, until November 6th, it is, we can make our prayers until 7.30, between almost like 6 a.m. till 7.30. The second one, the time window is about 1 to 4 p.m., the third one, four to six-ish. The fifth one, six to even actually till like 4 a.m., uh, 6 a.m. the next morning. So we can make those prayers during that time window. But for those Muslim prayers, uh, I think they will appreciate so much if you could show them a room where they can make their prayers. Uh, that is usually a challenge that because Again, they, uh, they don't want to probably have that experience in Oklahoma that I experienced because people don't really know uh, those like standing up, kneeling down, pr prostrating emotions. So I think that will be really helpful to create those spaces. And actually a small room is fine. It doesn't have to be very like big space, just a small room will be fine. Okay, great. <coughs> Thank you. So uh, here's a, the other question is, Talk a little bit about head coverings for women and the variety depending on the country, and then what should we make of the unrest in Iran? Oh, great question. <laughs> the second part is, I don't know, but let's see. <laughs> the first part, you know, the headscarf is, it's, uh, like it's mentioned you know, in the Quran about the woman's, <coughs> actually, I think one of the misunderstood concepts is, the dressing code is also for Muslims. So it's not, uh, sorry, for men. It's not exclusively to women. The idea is m wearing more modest to, uh, same for men. For example, I'm not supposed to wear like very bright colors, but I also need to cover between my belly and my knees as a man. So, but the I think women's is more like obvious. <coughs> but it is mentioned in the Quran and it's a more form of, I would say, uh, humility and not like drawing the, the attention. Again, same for men and for the woman. But <coughs> it is always like ask. I think one, I think misapproach, one wrong approach could be we just unfortunately make assumptions. The assumption is, oh, women are forced to wear headscarf. There are also women who are forced to wear headscarf. That is also a reality, unfortunately, because of that patriarchal culture. But most of the women choose to wear headscarf because they believe it is part of their faith. The issue in Iran is a very sad situation that, um, unfortunately, it's one of the most uh, oppressor countries in the world that even a lot of Muslims don't feel comfortable to go because Wearing, you know, those dressing code, yes, it is part of Islam, but people still have their choice. Say, like, my own mom wear a headscarf, but my sisters don't wear headscarf. Some of my, actual male friends said, oh, you should talk to your sisters and have them wear headscarf. I'm like, no, they know it's part of their faith, 
and they have to make their decision if they want to wear or not. If they will wear those headscarves to make me happier, that's not going to work actually. Because who am I? I'm just one person and I don't care. But yeah, it is a, a sad situation to see that. But it is unfortunately usually the government issue. 20 years ago in Turkey, women were not allowed to go to college if they wo wore headscarf. In a different country now, they are forced to wear headscarf. It is just a different form of oppression, I would say. My own wife went to medical school in Bulgaria because she was not allow allowed to go to medical school in Turkey because she wore headscarf. But it is, I would say, just different form of oppression. <coughs> so we, we chat a little bit about for this, and I think this is mm. something that I just learned about recently is the uh, mm -hmm. public call to prayer. Mm -hmm. And so there are some cities in the U.S. that are allowing the mosque to ring out, you know, over the speakers, the call to prayer. <coughs> and so it, I think in some situations it's very controversial in the U.S. for different reasons. But my question is why or how would that help Muslims in America with their identity of being Muslim? Mm -hmm. Or what are the benefits or the drawbacks to that? Great question, yeah. So when I first moved to the U.S. 16 years ago, I was just playing uh, Call to the Prayer, also known as Adhan videos on YouTube. It is, um, you know, kind of recited loudly uh, through the speakers uh, in Turkey and other Muslim countries, but that was something we really miss. Um, so it's basically an invitation to, to the mosque for the prayer, or not just to mosque, wh wherever you are. It's a reminder in a way. Um, but um, I personally, I mean, I love it. I miss it. But also, <coughs> I, I would say, had the pain of feeling like judged or excluded by my own uncle years ago. And also, I... Uh, not from a like ideological perspective, but I didn't kind of live my own fate until especially 17 years old. And I heard about judgmental people around me uh, who are judging others, including me, my own family and such. So when I uh, hear about this, to me, we should take uh, everyone's opinion into consideration, not just like Muslims, whoever living in this area, in that area, in that neighborhood. Because for Muslims, it's great. But I always think that, uh, like Rumi, when Rumi came together with religious people, he w was like one of them. He acted like he's, one, he's like one of them. But when he was with non-religious or less religious people, he was like one of them. So he didn't People just enjoyed being around Rumi. People didn't feel uncomfortable because of his level of religiosity. So that is, I think, my approach. I don't want to like bother or make other people feel uncomfortable because of my religious practices, because it is a religion of peace. So a funny ex experience, we used to organize trips to Turkey and we had a lot of American friends, actually, up to 600 Americans through the state of Kansas and Missouri came to Turkey with us. Some of them never heard of this call to the prayer. 
and at like 5:30 a.m. they heard of that call to the prayer and they woke up and they were scared what is this going on <laughs> they were like is it fire drill what is this <laughs> so when they shared the story it sounded in a way funny but also scary for them at that moment so i think it is i would really take into everyone's opinion consideration and wouldn't yeah just like force or heck uh, this is the way because again, I want everyone to be at peace. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, I think in a in Missouri, if we heard that, we might think it's a tornado. So <laughs> that's probably what we would uh, assume. But um, yeah, just one more question, and then uh, so if you haven't gotten any baklava yet, we'll hang out afterwards. You know, just finish up the coffee. You know, eat some and hang out. Um, get to meet each other. You know, you brought some friends, and so, yeah. you know, we have, you know, get to know somebody that you haven't met yet. This is just a great opportunity to get to know, um, you know, get to know people that maybe you want to interact with on a daily basis. But um, is there anything else that you would want people to know, um, whether it's people in this community at Brew Church or whether it's just yes. people in the United States in general? Um about you, your experiences, anything else that you would want people to know? My iPhone still has a lot of battery, so I'm taking, mo uh, <laughs> taking a look at my notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the, the unrest in my own home country, Turkey, I think made me uh, feel more compassionate towards people um, both in the US or in other countries. Because a lot of people there want to do good work, but they are not allowed to do because of their oppressive government. A lot of innocent people are arbitrarily detained or lost their lives when they try to flee from their own home country. Years ago, when I heard about these refugee boats ca being capsized in the Aegean Sea, my approach was also, oh, why are they trying to illegally escape? Then these like seven years helped me understand why. And the Thanksgiving question is always, what are you grateful for? And my response has been being independent and having freedom the last seven years. Because, yeah, enjoy your freedom and independence and just take any opportunity when you are allowed to do good work. Um, when I made a presentation a few months ago, the theme of the presentation was, I didn't know that I was privileged. I talk about the surgery adventure for me. I didn't know that I was privileged, that I was allowed to undergo that surgery at Mayo Clinic when a nine-year-old cancer patient did not, was not allowed to get his treatment in a timely manner and lost his, li his life. So I didn't know that I was privileged to come to here and be part of this interfaith gathering where thousands of people want to be part of this journey, this experience, but they are not allowed to have this experience. So just be aware of what all the bounties, everything we have taken for granted and enjoy your freedom and independence and you know be uh, 
you know, have your open mind and open heart, uh, open ears to people around you. And I like this bracelet saying, you know, my story is not over and, you know, your story is not over yet. So let's not judge anyone around us because we don't really know what everyone is going through in their life. And we don't know at what stage we are in our life. We may have a great job now. We may make a lot of money now, but we don't we may got into an accident tomorrow and we may be paralyzed. And this paralysis is not just about the organs, but also our thoughts might have this like illness. We may be open-minded one day, but the next day we may judge, start judging others. And it's a um, constant struggle. I think that was the word choice Martin Luther King used. It's a constant struggle. Really, we don't know. Maybe when we will come to the age of 60, 70, then we will start loving everyone or we will start judging everyone. We don't know. So just uh, always, I guess, be alert, be mindful about what's going on around us. And sometimes we kind of look for some, uh, like, um, how should I say, like magical words. But to me, that magical word could be as simple as love everyone. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Ed? Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's give him a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you, Shaq. Thank you for listening to this episode. Peace and blessings, everyone. <laughs>